My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today is Thursday and therefore we have the custom of uh, praying the Adorote Devote, a very beautiful Eucharistic hymn that was written in the 13th century by St. Thomas Aquinas, rich with faith at the real presence whom we are adoring now in the tabernacle. This living presence, this living pelican who suffers and dies for us, yet manages nevertheless to stay with us. We all remember the first stanza, Adorote Devote, Latins Deitas, O Godhead, I devoutly adore thee, hidden God, que sub is figuris bedilatitas, who truly are hidden in these figures, in this form before me. Tibi secor meum totum subicit. To thee, my heart, I bow with bended knee. To thee, my heart, tibi secor meum totum subicit, my entire heart, completely. Quia te contemplans totum deficit, as falling quite in contemplating thee. There are many, many translations of this, but every stanza of the Adrote is an, a theological affirmation and then. It is accompanied by an invocation, a prayerful response of the soul to this mystery. Theological affirmation, and then the soul, wow, kind of says, wow. How do we respond? Totum, totum deficit. I just fall apart. I just fall apart upon contemplating you. And. Uh, and this is what we are here to do. You are hidden here, Lord. And my own, my eye, my own eyes only see so much. But I need uh, a deep faith to dig deeper into the grandeur of what is happening here, hidden before me. Vedelatitas, you are truly hidden here in these in these forms before me. And so we ask the Lord now to grant us this faith, to have a deeper faith as we look upon him in the Eucharist, especially tonight as we do a few minutes of adoration. There, well, we, he won't be any different. He'll still be the hidden Lord, but it's just a 
a way of looking at him and examining him with the hopes that, that maybe as we do that, something awakens within us. I was reading recently a, a very popular book, a beautifully written, well-written book by Susan Cain called Quiet, The Hidden Power of Introverts. And she describes her own story as an introvert and how the 20th century has often shown great, great um, value to extroverts and has always underlined the importance of extroverts in sales and, uh, and, and you know, popular speaking, public speaking. She talks about Dale Carnegie and how he came to be known because he was a, a simple farm boy and he, he learned, uh, he just basically taught himself how to speak and so forth. And um, she writes very well and she recounts going into a seminar organized by this famous public speaker, Tony Robbins, which is the absolute antithesis of uh, introversion, right? He's on the complete, you know, extrovert um, spectrum. And uh, the, the name of the seminar was UPW, Unleash the Power Within. Right? Unleash the Power Within. It basically make you an amazing salesman and lead you, teach you to overcome your shyness, uh, which is bad, 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 and to teach you how to be, how to sell practically anything. And this guy, Tony Robbins, has had all kinds of clients from uh, Lady Di to, um, I mean, uh, you know, the, uh, Bill Clinton to who knows who, you know, and uh, he's made $80 million a year uh, doing this. And she recounts how she, who is an absolute introvert and very quiet and likes to stay in the very back row, and she asked for the back row, which costs her, uh, you know, eight, $800 for the seminar. Whereas if you get to be in the front row, you get, you pay, $2,000 because then you get to look at Tony. You get to look, get a front row look at him. You get to actually, maybe he can actually see you, right? And she just wanted to be at the very back. But in the end, she found herself uh, you know, at certain moments uh, uh, standing on, on, her, on her chair with everybody else, swinging her hands, singing, I want you to love me, or what is it? I want you to want me. That's right. You know, I want you to want me, these popular uh, rock songs. And um, and the whole purpose was to unleash the power within, right? That the, everybody has some kind of power. And no doubt these are very uh, electrifying seminars. But when we look upon the tabernacle, we know that the, the power, well, yes, in some way it is within us, but it is within us to discover the power without, the power that is out there. If only I could discover the grandeur of you, Lord, truly, who has wanted to continue your, your Paschal mystery by remaining present in your power, in your beauty, in your greatness, in your wonder, by being hidden in that host. So we have to unleash the power within, unleash the power within the host, but also unleash the power of your faith in that host. And uh, the people at these seminars, they repeat UPW, UPW, and, and you can't get into that seminar unless you give the greeter a major high five. Right? 
and she is the last person to give a high five to everybody, but she managed to, to give a high five. UPW. Unleash the power within. To what degree have I really unleashed the power of the Eucharist? Both in my faith in seeing the Lord and discovering what I'm really looking at every time I go to my parish church and every time I make a genuflection. What do I still have to unleash? And it is within our, our faith to do that. You could say it's within our power to do that. I had the, the joy a few years ago, a couple of years ago, to meet Cardinal Seurat, Robert Seurat, who is the, the prefect for the, the Congregation for the Sacraments, as I recall. And he came to Toronto in March of 2018, invited by Cardinal Collins. And it was a great pleasure to be able to exchange a few words with him. He came to the Newman Center and uh, he, he spoke with such simplicity and, and such piety. And when he spoke at uh, the university, he seemed to, to want to address the question of the sacred rites. And, we are here doing a course on, on the sacred liturgy, and he, he spoke about the rites, the sacred rites. He said, the divine liturgy, the holy sacrifice of the mass, is really, he said, our greatest treasure, our participation in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our participation in the single perfect act of worship of our Heavenly Father. Yeah, that's how. That's how he sees the Eucharist. It's our participation in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus Christ is worshiping God the Father, the Heavenly Father, and we are worshiping the Heavenly Father. And that we discover, that's the treasure that we discover in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. He said, when we participate in the liturgy, our hearts are formed together in communion according to what our Lord has revealed. That is why we return again and again. At times we might lose sight of this formative dimension of the liturgy. At times it might appear that the liturgy is empty, noisy, pedantic, or theatrical. These are grave distortions of the sacred rites handed down to us by the church. The liturgy ought to be beautiful because it is our most beautiful act. And through the sacred words, the hymns and the chants, we ought to discern, as Pope Francis described it, a sonorous thread of silence. A sonorous thread of silence. It's interesting phrase. A sonorous, a sonorous, like a noisy thread of, of silence, meaning there's a powerful thread of silence as we see the sacred words, as we hear the, the hymns like the Adorote. Adorote devote latens deitas. I adore you with devotions, O hidden God. Que sub ix figurius vere latitas. Que te contemplas totum deficit. 
I'm, I'm completely falling apart, Lord, when I contemplate you. Maybe, maybe we could do that tonight. Go through the Adorote, verse by verse, line by line, stanza by stanza. We meditate on it. Our founder wanted us to meditate on the Adorote every Thursday. Do it with a deep sense of thanksgiving, with an attitude of gratitude for the continuing presence of the Lord hidden there in the host. Right here, alive with you and me. And every, every church is like a locus of power. It's a locus of that beauty. And we have to unleash that power. In this case, not the power within us, but the power within that church, the power that is there. Zoom meetings and, and watching the Mass on Zoom, well, what can we do? It's, we can do it, but it's, it gives us words. But we can only see the presence, like in a movie or like on a screen. But behind that, that screen, on a computer screen or wherever we see Zoom, is truth, is goodness. So we, we should, as much as we can, try, try to go get the Mass as, as far as it's possible. I know it's not always possible with the limitations of the pandemic. And we ask you, Lord, now also never to allow routine creep in. If routine were ever to, be, to have crept in, that would mean that the power within would definitely be locked up, stored away, kept within us. I mean, that power would, would be wrapped up in bubble wrap and we would not have unleashed it for sure. If in any way routine had crept in into our life. Routine in the Mass, routine in our morning prayer. So we ask you, Lord, now grant me greater awareness, which means deeper faith, which means a richer awareness, to be aware, to become aware. What is it to be aware? It means to be conscious, tapping into that grandeur, our mind. We can, we can easily get used to the beauty of nature. We could see the trees, the colors, without a sense of wonder. We could see the fall colors and not be amazed by them. It could happen. Somebody was very preoccupied with something else and concerned. They passed by marvelous colors and it doesn't, doesn't really transform them. They get used to it. So what, what do we ask? Well, we ask for Eucharistic amazement. I need Eucharistic amazement. This has happened in different times throughout the Church, in different Eucharistic miracles. You can find books that describe all kinds of different Eucharistic miracles, as though our Lord were wanting to unleash the power within, that is, the power of our faith and our amazement for what is going on. One such example happened in the 13th century, in 1263, when Pope Urban IV was the Pope, and in, in Bolsena, 
a city near Orvieto, where, where uh, Pope Urban was living. There was a priest there. His name was Father Peter from Prague, who was celebrating Mass for a caravan of pilgrims that were returning from Rome. So these would have been pilgrims, a large group, tired, disheveled, and, and uh, he was celebrating Mass for them. And at one point, as he split the host, as the liturgy prescribed, and was about to say, the Lamb of God, Agnus Dei, Cotoris Peccata Mundi, as he split the host, and no doubt he did this frequently, with a certain routine, but he was, after all, splitting the host. As he did this, suddenly the host began to bleed profusely onto the corporal. And uh, he, he didn't know what to do. He just, that, you know, the, the corporal just collected everything. And eventually the Pope found out about this. He sent the local bishop to investigate. They found the, the host, blood-stained, and it was brought to Orvieto. And immediately that corporal with, with the blood on it became the object of pilgrimages. People came to see it. It became the object of devotion and wonder. Wow, look, a bloody host, not, not the bloody host, the bloody corporal on which the host lay. Presumably the priest had consumed the host. But of course, the bloody corporal was not really the object. The reality there was the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ being exposed every day in that host where the sacrifice of the Mass is the unbloody renewal of the sacrifice of the cross. Unbloody. We don't see blood there on the sacrifice, in the sacrifice of the Mass. It's the unbloody renewal. It doesn't mean it's not real. But it seemed in this case, the host that had been placed there many times on the corporal, people had gotten used to it, the priest had gotten used to it, and now to sort of to kickstart something, to unleash the power within, the host began to bleed. Well, certainly Pope Urban IV understood that this event was a sign that the Lord wanted to do away with this Eucharistic routine and use this miracle as, as an occasion to, to strengthen the faith of the people. And so he asked St. Thomas Aquinas, who actually was living in Orvieto at that time, to compose a special hymn, and that's how he came up with the Adorote Devote. And also, he came up with the Feast of Corpus Christi. Uh, also, uh, processions started with the Blessed Sacrament. There are paintings commemorating this event. The focus now became on the Eucharist, or the real presence. And in the Cathedral of Orvieto, an exquisite cathedral with a beautiful, beautiful readable, and and paintings, uh, it's still, as I understand, they still have somehow enshrined this blood-stained corporal which somehow has still managed to survive after all these centuries. And it's uh, from this moment on that uh, many hymns began to be composed. I suppose there already were some, but 
Eucharistic hymns started to come alive. The Laudation, the Panis Angelicus, which is said for morning prayer, Verbum Supernum, which is what concludes the Adoration hymn in the O Salutaris Ostia, O Saving Host, which was a canticle that was said by priests for Vespers, or the Pangelingua, Pangelingua, we all know the Pangelingua, which finishes the benediction, or, or the, the, the Tanto Mergo, which we'll, we'll do all that tonight. These are ancient hymns. And of course, the Adorote. No wonder Pope John Paul II called St. Thomas Aquinas an impassioned poet of Christ in the Eucharist. An impassioned poet of Christ in the Eucharist. And Pope Benedict said that he was, he had an exquisitely Eucharistic soul that produced the most beautiful hymns that the liturgy of the Church sings. And one of those most beautiful ones is Azerote Devote. This lyrical Eucharistic wisdom, or even the, the Panis Angelicum, Angelicus, where he writes, Ores mirabilis manduca dobinum pauper servus etubiles. Oh, what a wondrous reality. Oh, res mirabilis. Oh, what a wondrous reality. A poor and humble servant eats his Lord. Manducat dominum pauper servus etumiles. That, that, that a poor and humble servant can actually eat his Lord. He thought this was a, a wondrous reality. A res mirabilis. Well, we, we, we look, look some of these hymns up and, and read them and meditate on them and they're really written with true daring and true faith and true love. Or in the Laudation sequence, he sings, Quantum potes tantum aude. Quantum potes tantum aude. Dare to do as much as you possibly can. Quantum potes, however you possibly you can, Tantum aude. That's how much you should dare to do. What do we dare to do? What's this daring for? Daring for what? Well, we said yesterday we dare in our divine filiation because it frees us up a lot. Because our divine filiation frees us from this interior clutter and gets us more aware of who we really are as sons and daughters of God. Well, considering the Eucharist is a, is a daring task of alivening our faith, that God is truly close to us, He's not far away. You know, St. Ignatius of Loyola used to have people consider passages from Scripture and to have them dig deeper into these passages from Scripture. We can do it, obviously, from Scripture, or, or hymns that are deeply embedded in Scripture. I mean, the hymns of St. Thomas Aquinas, I mean, they're not Scripture, but, I mean, every few lines there are references to Scripture. 
And but St. Thomas Aquinas would use a passage and have you have the retreatant go away and just meditate on that single line for the longest time. One of them was to have the retreatant read Psalm 33. Our soul waits for the Lord, our heart is glad in Him. Our soul waits for the Lord. Our heart is glad in Him. So you, so they would say, okay, you take that, just go memorize that, see the different translations, see the different ways that it's expressed in Scripture. Our soul waits. So, so what is our soul waiting for? How is my soul filled with gladness? That's from Psalm 133. Excuse me, it's Psalm 33. We know we have to work, we have to offer to God, but what am I waiting for? What am I really waiting for? Do I really wait for the Lord in my daily life? To wait for the Lord. Do I wait for God my Father so that I can understand further what He wants from me? What am I waiting for? It's a very important, important question to ask ourselves. Maybe I'm just waiting for something quite limited. Maybe I'm just kind of waiting for a recognition by others. Maybe I'm just kind of waiting for some kind of success. Maybe I'm just waiting that they like me, that I do well in my work or in the family, that things go well, that I stay healthy. Am I really waiting for this incalculable treasure, this valuable treasure? I invite you to pray, what am I waiting for? We had recently the ordination, I, I believe it was uh, September 5th, of 29 new priests of the Prologer, ordained by Cardinal uh, Parolin, Pietro Parolin, who is the Secretary of State. And uh, it's a beautiful occasion when you see an ordination, all the families come, and each one afterwards, in the days after the ordination, would be able to celebrate their first Masses. And uh, they're, they're deeply mo moving days, 29 people, I was with 44, so it's, you know, double, it's, it's, it's almost double, it's, uh, it's a precious moment, all these people. In our case here, the 29, the, you know, it, it just, just seeing all these people with masks, uh, constantly sanitizing their hands, uh, uh, there are people from Spain, Mexico, Guatemala, Chile, Uruguay, Ivory Coast, Slovakia, Argentina, Costa Rica, the Netherlands, Uganda, Peru, Italy, and, uh, and Colonel Perolin gave a beautiful homily about what it meant to be truly a shepherd. But really, you, you can say, well, what, yes, they were being ordained and, and the beauty of being a priest, but really they're all kind of waiting to embrace that moment in which they could say their, their first Mass. And these are the most moving moments in the life of a priest when he celebrates his first Mass. His parents are there, his family. It's an intimate moment when suddenly that power he has now received 
to, to bring about the real presence. Before, a few days before, he couldn't do that. Now he can do it. Not because he's better or somehow he's just he's received that sacramental power. You know, that's the first Mass, but think now of that beautiful picture taken on March 22nd, 1994, when Don Alvaro is in the Cenacle for his last Mass on earth. This is the Cenacle, this is the place where our Lord instituted the Eucharist. And you notice he's on a very small, small altar with the Councilor of Jerusalem at the, play, at the time, with Don Javier, I think Don Joaquin. It's a very poor, I mean, not very, I mean, for, for this to be the Cenacle, I would put a serious altar there, but this is a tiny little place. And there he's celebrating, and, 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 he's, and he's looking very pious, he's got his eyes down, he looks quite tired, he looks tired, he seems to be perspiring, he's sweating. I mean, this is the Cenacle, this is the place where the Eucharist was instituted. And he's fully conscious, he fully seems to have unleashed the power within to recognize what's going on. He was getting old physically, but we can see that inwardly he's very vibrant. He is renewed, he is renewed by that love for the Eucharist that is really there. And he gets home that night, that was in the morning, he gets home that night, arrives in Rome, is greeted by some people in, in the airport, but he goes to bed, has a heart attack in the middle of the night and dies. He was ready. He was ready because he had, in some way, he had really lived his last Mass so, in such an important place with such inner vibrancy. Let's ask our Blessed Mother, who stood at the foot of the cross, for this, this grace to unleash the power within in the way we assist at Mass and the, and the way we receive Him in the Holy Eucharist. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.